if you've never organized and don't know what it's like to to get up every single day and say, I'm about to take on the state <laughs> and I need to figure out how I'm going to do it and I need to figure out how I'm going to like survive it and how I'm going to make sure my folks survive it and how we're going to win and how I'm going to get through today, you know? And sometimes as an organizer, you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, I've been through 10 different emotions today <laughs> and, uh, and it's only 2 p.m., you know? It's like, can people practice self-care in the midst of so much this is Healing Justice, a podcast bridging conversations at the intersections of collective healing and social change. I'm your host, Kate Warning, and today we're talking with Healing Justice leader and immigrant rights movement OG, Francisca Porchas Coronado. We talk about how she was politicized, healing traditions in immigrant Latinx and Chicanx communities, the resilience of undocumented folks in the face of loss and grief. We talk about tending to pain both politically and personally, community ritual, and also her spiritual path in IFA. Francisca has some very specific challenging asks for both organizers and healers about what it will take to build the bridge between healing and organizing. So tune in to hear that challenge. A little more about Francisca. She's a Mexican immigrant, a Chicana, a Latinx, feminist, and anti-racist organizer with over 15 years of organizing experience. As a former organizing director of Puente Human Rights Movement in Phoenix, she has been one of the leading voices against deportations and immigrant detention in the country. As a 2017 Nathan Cummings Foundation Fellow, Francisca founded Healing in Resistance, which is a wellness project centering the spiritual and emotional well-being of immigrant communities in the fight against criminalization. She has been initiated into the ancient indigenous Yoruba tradition of Ifa for over a decade and is currently a priestess in training. We have a couple special resources for you this week. There's a link in the show notes to a guide called Resistencia Ancestral that Francisca produced in collaboration with many other contributors and mi gente. Um, and also, this is the first week that we'll be offering a practice both in English and in Spanish. And so we welcome you to listen to the conversation. Let's meet Francisca. Hi, Francisca. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I am so glad that you're here because of the powerful work that you're doing in the world and also the um, ancestral resistance guide that I have admired for some time now that you put out with mi gente. Um, and I'm so excited that you are here with us to share some of your wisdom. And I'd love just an opening for us to kind of locate ourselves for folks. I mean, we're talking over the phone because I'm here recording in my room in my collective house in Brooklyn. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about where you're at? I am in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, in my house. I am in a, a dim room that is my shrine room. Um, I uh, practice Ifa, which is a an ancestral indigenous tradition from Nigeria and Benin. And so I have about, I don't know, about 12 Orishas behind my, behind my chair, behind me, um, and uh, sitting at my desk. Um, so I feel, 
I feel like I'm in my really good space to have this conversation. Hmm. That's cool. Is that kind of faith tradition something that you grew up with or something that you have taken on later in life? What's sort of the, the journey of the practice that you have? Yeah, um, I grew up a Catholic, um, uh. very culturally Catholic, definitely not a churchgoer. Uh-huh. Um, but I found this tradition in Los Angeles while I was organizing there and um, started having a lot of really deep, intense dreams about all kinds of things um, that felt like something calling to me or past lives. And I started seeking help because I was sleeping very little, started feeling like I was losing my mind. (laughs) When Mm. you don't sleep, you start kind of losing your mind and having um, 10, 12, 16-hour organizing days. Mm. Um, And so I started asking people, well, I started telling people that I trusted about what was happening and asking them what kind of spiritual help I could find um, because this wasn't, I didn't believe I had uh, what people consider. Some people, you know, would, would consider this a mental illness in some ways, even though to me mental illness also sometimes is about spiritual um, uh, imbalance or, or calling. Um, mm. and, um, and I found... I found this tradition. I found um, a priest who had worked at the same organization that I had worked at. He was an attorney by day and a priest by night of this tradition. And um, I went for a reading. And and this is me not having ever, ever been in any indigenous tradition or or, um, even played around with the concept or being curious, but just desperate um, Mm. for, for spiritual support. And um, I fell in love with this tradition. I had this reading by, by this man um, who had been initiated for several years and what it was a priest. And um, he helped me a lot. He cleansed my space. He gave me messages that were ancestral, that were divine, that were about my purpose, that were about the things that these spirits were trying to tell me and remind me about. Um, and so... My my good friend and I decided to go and check out this temple, um, this small space in South Central Los Angeles where these folks gathered and learned a theory and learned um, the cosmology and learned the ethics of this tradition. And um, that was in 2003. I then got initiated into it in 2009. Um, I'm sorry, in 2008. So I've been initiated for almost a decade now, and um, and it's been quite a journey. I have um, I I owe so much to this tradition, and I'm now a uh, practicing uh, a practicing uh, a practitioner of Ifa, but also like um, I'm also a priest in training, mm. um, and I've been in training for the last few years. Um, so that's that's how I, I found this tradition. Wow. So you, so you've been in this practice for ten years, and you were talking about how uh, you were already working twelve, fourteen hour organizing days at that time. How long have you been organizing? I started organizing in two thousand and one. I guess you could say maybe. Uh-huh. Yeah, two thousand and one. Uh-huh. There's activism days, but I. Um, I define organizing as like literally going into the street, talking to people, trying to 
um, convey a particular um, worldview and trying to get them into an organization. So I was an activist since 1999 when I when I went to college here at Arizona State, but organizing on the ground, talking to people mm. um, and um, politicizing them and um, advocating um, since 2002. Um, and so, yeah, it's been, <laughs> it's been quite some time now. Yeah. And can you tell us a little bit about like your journey into organizing your, your teachers, your, uh, sort of tradition of organizing that you were part of? And then when and how did the healing work start to integrate there? Yeah, I am, um, you know, I migrated to this country when I was nine years old. I am from a little mining town south of Arizona called Cananea. It's a, a place that us northerners, Mexican northerners, claim as like the the beginning of the Mexican Revolution, although some of the people from the South might argue, uh, might mm. argue with that. <laughs> um, and so we migrated here um, to meet up with my father, who had been here for a couple of years here in Phoenix, Arizona. And um, it was a really deeply traumatizing um, experience for me as a child. I, I, um, I didn't cross a desert, so that wasn't how I came in, but um, at nine years old, um, we left sort of in the middle of the night without saying goodbye to anyone, without um, really parting or having any type of real conversation about the fact that we were leaving. Um, and so it was a really hard experience for me, and it, it, it transformed me, I think, for forever. And um, And so I was always really clear... Um, that this wasn't my home and that I had a very um, conditional relationship to this country because of the ongoing, really stressful uh, dynamics with immigration. What back then wasn't Immigration Customs Enforcement, but, um, but the, this agency that, that um, continuously reminded us of our conditional relationship. Um, I grew up in the hood here in Phoenix. I'm very much a product of of the 90s <laughs> um, hmm. as a young person and pretty much anyone who is a product of the 90s, I think in the hood anywhere could probably relate um, in a lot of ways and share stories. But uh, but I grew up with black, brown, um, Asian and poor white folks that, um, you know, struggled and, and um, were always treated uh, very differently than obviously uh, middle and upper class people. And so that sort of always um, was very formative for me. And so uh, as soon as I realized that um, there was a way to actually be um, of use and be on the right side of history, which was in college around um, around supporting workers with the United Farm Workers. Uh, there was a campaign in California to to, for a boycott around pig sweet mushrooms, which was a campaign that Cesar Chavez had won. And Cesar Chavez is a hero across the country, but Arizona is his hometown or his home mm. state. And so grew up with him. And so me being like, oh, I'm actually now continuing some of the work felt really um, empowering and really beautiful. And so that was sort of my introduction into the work in college as, as, as a student who was helping support farm workers in, in Northern California and in Oregon. And, and then quickly um, began to get radicalized by as many of us, um, both the movement, but also 
really amazing professors and mentors that I had at Arizona State that sort of guided me um, and that taught me about U.S. imperialism, that taught me about, um, you know, why this conditional relationship, what it meant to to be a person from the third world, um, what it meant to have this relationship and the historical um, oppressions um, and actions of this country uh, about colonization. And so uh, pretty soon I started looking for where to organize, where to learn, because there was no movement here in Phoenix. The movement that we know now, this really vibrant movement around immigrant people didn't exist back in 2001. <laughs> and so left, left uh, looking for where to get trained, where to learn. I was really hungry for for doing this work. Um, and I was really clear that this was sort of like my purpose. And so I did a lot of internships and went to a lot of places just kind of searching and ended up at, at an organization in Los Angeles called the Labor Community Strategy Center and Bus Riders Union where I, um, I met a, a family of comrades and where I was trained for, for a good nine years on everything from the women's movement to the, the Chicano the Chicano movement to the Black Power movement. Um, but also a lot of that theory was then put into practice. I organized on the buses of L.A. Mm. four hours a day, five days a week for quite a few years. Uh, did work on climate change, uh, climate justice, environmental justice, civil rights um, for a good amount of time. And um, just like really um, dug my heels really deep in this work and um, and I've been back, back to Phoenix since, and I got back in 2014 and really wanted to come back and do work. Um, I do have undocumented families still. I have a lot of undocumented people in my community that I'm close to and have been following the movement for, for all these years. And it, 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 it grew and it's this really beautiful, vibrant, uh, movement here now that's been fighting our pile, that's been fighting us, that fought SB 1070, that, that was able to, to be an example for the rest of the country in a lot of ways um, and mm -hmm. an inspiration. And so I've been here for about four years now um, and, and fighting deportations, the detention and the criminalization of immigrant people. Mm. And, and just to answer, to just add real quickly to the healing justice question, or just the healing piece, I think, um, mm -hmm. I think uh, the simple, <laughs> more simpler answer is that, uh, you know, I think, all of us uh, that become organizers realize uh, we become organizers because we have this infinite, uh, we have this really deep desire um, to, to transform ourselves individually and to try to, and, and believe in the power of transforming ourselves and the power of, of our, our people transforming themselves and in order to transform society. So I feel like we come to this work because we know that it, it's healing work, it's healing for ourselves, and it's healing for um, our folks. And, and in the process of politicizing our people and process of empowering ourselves and each other, um, there is healing that is innate. You know, I feel like we talk a lot about all the harm that we do to each other in this movement, but I think it's also important to acknowledge the reason why we join and, 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 and the reason why um, we stay many times. Um, 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 it is been, um, at a very intimate level and also at a collective level. And what we ultimately want is obviously a transformational at the systemic transformation at the systemic level. 
That is so deeply true. And I feel like um, just to resonate a little bit from my own journey, you know, mostly starting out and organizing also in the immigrant rights movement in a really different part of the country in Wisconsin. Um, that feeling of, especially because like when I got involved was really when at the beginning of the undocumented and unafraid work. Um, and the act of seeing people really be able to articulate their stories and to come out as undocumented and to take action and hit the streets and like avenge the detention of a family member, right? Like that, I think for a long time, I actually resisted more of what would be called like the healing work because it felt like that action work was such a deeply needed healing work. Like that um, oftentimes I think when folks talk about healing, it seems like softer or more individualized, right? Like, and, um, and that that powerful collective action piece is absolutely a humongous part of healing and like moving through trauma collectively. Um, and, also for myself, like it took years later, I feel like I was able to see that for other people. I was able to see that for the undocumented young people I was working with. But um, as people challenged me more years later as a white woman, like, well, what is your story? What, how are you healing by being here? Just realizing like the deep um, sense of reconnection to community that this work was offering me, that white supremacy had so systematically stripped from my family. Um and even literally working in the neighborhoods that were like the neighborhood that my family immigrated to from Germany that is now like continues to be kind of the immigrant area of Milwaukee and is is filled with beautiful like panaderias and uh, Mexican businesses now, right? So like a, that sense of connection and healing through action just feels so deeply paramount. Um, and that makes me want to ask you, I know a lot of your work is, has been very specifically recently looking at supporting healing in uh, the immigrant rights movement and in um, Latinx and Chicanx communities. Um, and I'm wondering what patterns are you seeing in, in richness and tradition and the resource that exists, the resilience that so deeply exists in, in those communities and some of the shared struggles and obstacles that you see. Yeah, um, yeah, I think, um, you know, our people, and referring to like what you were putting out around the Latinx and Chicanx folks and um, undocumented people, immigrant people, I think they've, you know, for them, the question of healing justice and healing overall has been, you know, it's rooted in our indigenous communities. And even if we don't acknowledge it or sometimes reject it, like it's still such a, part of the fabric, I think, of of the community itself, from like curanderismo to even just the basic remedios, remedies that our, our mothers and our abuelas and all these people use and things. It's so deeply embedded, yet sometimes it just becomes sort of a way of life without us pointing it out or acknowledging it as much. So I would say that um, the biggest thing for me or the biggest lesson in terms of like the richness and what I what I see is like tradition and, and, and deep resources. Undocumented people that I've worked with over the past four years here in Phoenix are probably the most um, incredibly um, strong 
people I have ever mm-hmm. met in my life. And by that, I mean mm-hmm. the amount of, um, the amount of loss and grief that they're dealing with <clears throat> ongoingly, um, the amount of time that they have spent, you know, two, three years inside of detention away from their loved ones. Um, the, what baffles me is like their, you know, <laughs> ability to stay sane, um, which is, you know, both good and also alarming, you know, because there's a lot there. Um, mm. Their, uh, their, whatever it is that they tap into, uh, because that's resilience, you tap into something internal to you to be able to say, I'm going to pick myself up just love my wife. I just lost my wife. Um, she's a victim of our pie. I'm going to pick myself up and I'm just going to continue advocating on behalf of others, myself. Um, or I just was in detention for three years, was denied my, um, my right to an attorney, was denied my freedom, my, my, my basic right to come back to court, make a case for myself. I had to be imprisoned and to come out and say, um, you know, I, I'm ready to live and I'm ready to thrive um, is incredible to me. So, so that to me is like, um, there's already so much wisdom um, in within our community, and there's already so much, you know, of of people's own internal um, resource that they tap into to be able to uh, stay present and to to stay present for themselves and for this fight. Um, so that's just, that's one, right? Um, and then I think the challenge, uh, which is ongoingly, is that I don't, we're not, as a, as a movement, as, an, as, as organizers and the more as like institutions, I feel like um, we're not able to really do um, enough of that um, emotional support, um, of that um, sort of taking a moment and acknowledging this pain and taking a closer look at this pain and being able to address it. Um, not for the mm. sake of let us politicize your story so that then you can see the broader context of it and then you can feel empowered in your fight, which is really important, mm. uh, which is mm-hmm. one part of the healing process. But to look at this pain and to, to, attend, to tend to it for the purpose of, of healing, of healing because, you know, because we need to heal because we know that there's another generation that's coming and we know we've been uh, massively traumatized generation after generation. And it's like, what are we handing over to the next generation that's coming? What are we teaching? What are we embodying? Um, So how do we tend to this? Because that grief and that hurt and that loss and that trauma that, that is, you know, constantly coming back um, to haunt our people is still there. Mm. Um, mm. And I feel like we don't have the skills and we don't necessarily have the time. And by default, it sometimes falls in organizers' laps without an ability to really address it or that we're just so mm. overwhelmed and busy that we can't really take a moment to look at it. And this is no judgment, I think, on organizers because they have to do their own spiritual work to get up every day and fight the state and mm. the system that's so ferocious and have to hold so much pain at a scale. Um, and mm-hmm. so 
I think that a real challenge for us is how do we ensure that when we're creating sanctuary, right? Uh, we talk about sanctuary, mm -hmm. that it's not sanctuary just like a political term, a church or a house or wherever, but that like, how are we creating sanctuary for the soul? How are we creating sanctuary for the spirit? How are we ensuring that, um, you know, God knows what Trump sessions and all these crazies are going to be experimenting on our folks or doing with our folks over the next few years. But like, can we come out on the other side? Maybe not unharmed, uh, you know, maybe mm. not uh, undeport not deported or, or not incarcerated, but <laughs> or not separating families, but can we come out stronger spiritually in some way? Is that possible? And can we try? Mm. Mm. Yeah, it really, it really impacts me to hear you talk about like the, how are we holding pain, not just in a way of supporting people to articulate it and use it as a, a tool for political change and and like the the defense of and that is a critically important part of healing and of the action that we need to take, um, but thinking about, you know, even the the my experience in the dreamer movement of of sharing stories as such a powerful tool, and yet sometimes a tool that actually really is depleting for folks. Like when you have to share your story of your deepest pain, for you know the hundredth time, mm -hmm. and then. Here again, your belonging, your dignity, your worth debated as a political conversation in the public sphere, yeah. right? When you're sharing so much of yourself and struggling so hard. Like I, when I hear you talk about folks who have been detained or have been separated from family members and certainly folks who have experienced oftentimes plenty of trauma in their home countries or in the journey to arriving here, um, what are some of the ways that you think that incredible resilience is resourced for people who have lived those kinds of experiences, right? Like, where is that strength coming from or what kinds of um, practices or belief systems or um, ways of relating in community do you think have actually supported such uh, an unbelievable amount of resilience and will to live? <clears throat> You know, that's actually a really big, um, um, I can think of some things, but it's kind of like a dream of mine to actually just um, like really do a whole, <laughs> a whole project and just recording um, and capturing um, that question. Um, one of the sort of dreams that we had um, in this project um, uh, my project is called Healing and Resistance, is to, to actually capture um, the stories of people who have been in detention uh, or who are in detention and um, haven't given up and have fought their way through and after years have gotten their freedom or, you know, court, uh, court hearing after court hearing. It's like we tell so much the story of suffering and so much the story of pain and so much the story of trauma. like. Can we tell the story of resiliency as well? Can we tell the story of how we have um, literally um, sustained and maintained? And and I, I'm aware that surviving isn't the same as thriving. And I know that surviving isn't the same thing mm -hmm. as resiliency. But um, but I, I think we have sustained and we have 
at different points, it's been really clear to me um, that we have thrived. Um, and so one thing I would say um, to answer that question is um, the building of, of community is, is absolutely integral. And I think um, inside the Latinx and Chicanx community, um, you know, we come from countries that are so the, the families and, and, and neighborhoods are so, are so tight and, um, closely knit communities and people relying on each other in so many different ways. And so one thing that I think I wouldn't say it's intact because there's still a lot of isolation from acculturation that happens in this country mm -hmm. because we're fighting against a very, very individualistic, um, culture, this capitalist yeah. culture. But one thing that I do see is and the difference that I, I did see in maybe organizing um, in Los Angeles, a, a more a multiracial uh, community with more complicated, different languages, um, like four different languages, different nationalities, you know, hard to communicate, hard to connect, is that working with this, you know, mostly Mexicano, Mexicanx, like community, um, mixed status, um, people really rely on each other. They check up on each other. They um, go mm -hmm. to, go with each other to court. Um, they have each other's back. Tonight, actually, tonight. Um, and these are the kinds of ceremonies we're having to do, ritual we're having to do, which is one of our members, Apuente, is turning themselves in tomorrow um, to ICE to be deported mm -hmm. after a long, mm -hmm. long fight, after spending years in detention, after knowing that there's just no way out, um, and and after being really clear that, you know, um, hiding, going back into the shadows isn't the way to go for this person. Um, we're holding a, a dinner and we're holding ceremony and ritual tonight um, to send them off. Um, and so mm -hmm. that's the kind of um, that's the kind of richness that I see in in building community, and also the role that organizations play, like. At the end of the day, for me, as somebody who is in the border of like organizer slash healer, um, the role, and you would agree with this because you come from an organizing background, that, that organizing organizations play, base building organizations that, that create, that say, I got you. I got your back. When mm -hmm. our pile's on mm -hmm. your back, when everybody's abandoned you, when you feel like I have no idea if I'm going to come home tonight, I have no idea how I'm going to feed my children, given that my partner is in prison right now. I have no idea how I'm going to get, you know, from this place to that place without a car. Um, when organizations build a community that is like family and they got each other's back, even with all the drama, because, you know, when people speak the same language mm -hmm. and are from the same place, <laughs> stuff's going to bubble up. <laughs> Um, but you know, to say I got you. And so for me, I think not having lost some of that, um, and being a pretty, mm. um, you know, a pretty tight community, um, has really been what has been our saving grace. And I think that if we can just mm. continue building on that and even stronger, um, over the next few years, because you said it right now, it's really a fight for our humanity and, by that, I do mean, yes, staying out of prison, not getting deported, not being separated, mm. not being criminalized even more um, or racially profiled. But it's also an ideological debate. It's also a moral debate because our mm -hmm. humanity 
our very existence um, is being demonized. It's being on an ongoing basis. Um, so much violence and vitriol is coming at us. How do we ensure that we're counterbalancing that and that we're reminding ourselves how amazing we are, how beautiful and how how um, resilient and how all the, all the richness of our tradition and our culture and our being and um, and all of that, right? And so it really is also a, a moral, ideological fight for our own sake and for our, our own souls. Hi there. Welcome to the Affirmations segment of our show, where we hear from community voices about the people, the resources, nature, traditions, stories, any of the things that are keeping you resilient in these times. And so we're really excited today to welcome the voice of Sarah from Louisville, Kentucky. Here's Sarah. Sarah Nunez with Mi Gente Local Louisville Crew uh, on the ground in Kentucky. Last year, Mi Gente did some trainings uh, called Las, uh, Las Escuelita, Escuelitas, and we uh, got together with folks from across the nation in those spaces and were able to learn from from people, hear what they're, what's working, what's not working, uh, and um, gain new skills together and 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 make new friends and so that's been really nice in addition to that i think that mi gente keeps me resilient because it reminds me that there's people who have a similar politic and a similar value set as i do uh, not just here in in louisville kentucky but also across the nation and that's probably one of the most liberating experiences that i've ever had because uh it's confirming that uh, the way that I want to see our world created, there's hundreds and thousands of other people who also want to see our world, our cities, our towns, our neighborhoods, our communities organized and living in a, in a, in a certain kind of way that promotes rights for all of our people. Uh, and that, to me, is refreshing and liberating and exciting and gives me hope every day. Yeah, peace and love out to the community. Thank you, Sarah, for those words and all of your work in Louisville. And thank you, mi gente, for all that you do. We see you and we are with you. Les vemos y estamos con ustedes. And so if you would like to share your voice on an upcoming episode, we would love to have you. You simply go to healingjustice.org and in the menu options, there's an option to share an affirmation. You can submit it that way or via the direct link in your show notes. If you've been wondering whether it's the time to share your voice, I think now's the time. So think about who you'd like to appreciate. Um, and send us a recording. We'd love to feature you on the show. So let's get back to this amazing conversation with Francisca Porchas. I feel struck by, you know, what makes sense because of the work that you're particularly doing, but the really deep intertwinedness of like the, the constant integration of the action work um, of organizing and kind of the being 
healing work and the inner work and the spiritual recovery, right? And um, I'm wondering, you know, for, for you, it seems like it's a, a really seamless and thorough integration. Um, but we know also in our world that that oftentimes these conversations are really separated, um, that it's like, Sometimes you can go to seek a healing space that's that that can be run with such great skill, but it can just really be missing this piece around the community building and the relying on each other and the taking political, you know, public action together as a piece of the healing, like can be missing in those spaces. And then in our organizing spaces, like the politics can be so there <laughs> and the deeper needs of people not being met, right? Yep. <laughs> and I'm curious, like you are so using your body and your story and your labor and heart as a bridge to integrate these worlds. And I'm just wondering, like, what about that has been really well received where you're like, wow, like people are really hungry for this work. And then also what about that has been hella frustrating? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm on my sixth month of sort of going deep on this and uh, having a ton Mm. of conversations. And obviously I've had these conversations when I say six months, it's like I was, I've been lucky enough to have been um, awarded a a fellowship by the Nathan Cummings Foundation because um, I wanted to do this, this work and explore more how to integrate healing and wellness into the organizing work within immigrant rights. Um, And so for the last six months, I've been really fortunate and blessed to have been given this opportunity to kind of explore it more deeply. And so I think um, I I think the biggest thing, not just the last six months, but in general around organizing, organizers, right, is um, a big challenge is, is that they have felt a lot of critique, I think, coming from historically from like people who want to uh, critique them around you don't there's no self-care you're destroying your body you're being a martyr um, um you know you're burning yourself out like just a lot of critique on like all the ways in which you're kind of destroying yourself and not taking care of yourself and and so for organizers I think of, of different places right they have sort of shut themselves out to that because Sometimes that critique is coming from people who aren't organizers, who've never been organizers, and who are really Mm. amazing at self-care, which is great. I think all of us should be really good at self-care. The problem is then, like, if you've never organized and don't know what it's like to to get up every single day and say, I'm about to take on the state, (laughs) and I need to figure out how I'm going to do it, and I need to figure out how I'm going to, like, survive it, and how I'm going to make sure my folks survive it, and how we're going to win, and how we're going to, like... Forget about winning, maybe it's just like literally today, like how I'm going to get through today, you know? And sometimes yeah. as an organizer, you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, um, where I've, had, I've been through 10 different emotions today <laughs> and, uh, mm. and then it's only 2 p.m., you know? It's like, what else is coming at me today? You know, it's just like, <laughs> can people practice self-care in the midst of so much chaos and and stress and, and responsibility, both moral and political, as somebody who, who, who has taken that responsibility. And so it's hard to take that critique from someone who maybe has never experienced that, right? And so I think organizers yeah. have had a hard time, of, have been 
somewhat adverse to this conversation because they're like, well, who the hell are you? <laughs> when was the last mm. time I saw you, you know, doing this work? So like, how would you know mm. how I feel or what I need, right? And so that's like, I think something that I've, I've heard a lot through the years and, and lately, you know, I've had more conversations and so it's been interesting. And I myself was one of those people. I'm also not going to pretend like I was like, really, you just come to me with all these critiques. So that's been one. The two, is, the second thing is I think that uh, in the organizing spaces, I think what I feel like uh, yesterday I was having a good conversation with an organizer, actually uh, somebody who's been doing this work for, I don't know, at least 10 years. And they're like, you know, I like, you know, when people bring in massage, you know, it, it's cool when people bring in massage to convenings and acupuncture and like they have an altar and all this is cool, but that doesn't really help me, <laughs> you know? And like, how is that at the end of the day? Um, like really um, changing culture, like inside organizations or, or, or helping me think about, you know, having, helping me have these like, breakthroughs in consciousness about how I should see my wellness and my well-being and and transformation and like mm-hmm. how is that helping people on the ground like I just it's good you know and so I wouldn't say this represents everybody but I think there's still a bridging there's still an integration that needs to happen where we are able to um to really integrate um individual and collective transformation um into emotional right into the 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 work of of political education popular education the work of of organizing door-to-door the work of of campaign planning right is is this a tactic that we're using you know it's like there's still some of that that i think hasn't been fully integrated and it's still something that's like either like on the fringes or the margins right but we kind of try to curate a space that feels more healing or more resilient and that's great but like how are we actually integrating more deeply and I I haven't figured it all out but I think that's the question that I'm most interested in because that's where the Mm. work a lot of the work is happening on a one-on-one basis that's where people create really intimate relationships and where I've seen transformation of people go from somebody who's super like you said like somebody who was in the shadows who now is putting their body on the line um mm-hmm. to, to beat back some of these terrible you know racist policies and so that's one for organizers and for healers i would say like um you know there's been it's 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 hard it's hard to there's no, sometimes no bridges right there's so many brilliant folks that are doing the work and sometimes there's no bridges for them to integrate to truly integrate right and so um i feel like i admire there's so many folks that i really deeply admire that are doing this work and that are probably doing the most um, thinking about this and articulating it the best. And so how um, do we, um, how do we actually have some of those folks that are amazing work more closely, um, more closely with people on the ground and with organizations and organizing and what could be that bridge, you know, could the, the bridges be the people that are organizers who are most open to this who can in some way or another be the bridge builders, right? Um, um, but I, I would say that, um, you know, can organizers, can healers come even closer to the ground? You know, can they see themselves as an actual, like, mm. um, what's their role within this 
this movement building process, this movement building uh, process and um, experiment. Um, and can we bridge it even more? And that doesn't mean like destroy your bodies and all the critiques that healers might have, but what does it look like to have more yeah. rigor around coming into communities and doing some of this work uh, with, from inside the organizing process? Yes. That, that wisdom is hitting me in a new way hearing you talk about it this morning because I, I feel like I've heard this conversation more about integrating artists in our movements, like um, folks like Fabiana Rodriguez and the work that's being done with Culture Strike. And I've also learned this from, you know, people in the Just Seeds Collective and in, um, in the Flowbots of like, uh, that oftentimes artists, and actually I see this in my partner. My partner's a designer and does a lot of um, kind of movement visual work. And oftentimes we wait to call on the artists until like we've already planned the whole campaign and we're like, now we need a poster. Can you make the poster? Um, and I've been told by artists in my life over many years, like artists need to be at the table since the first conversation because they are bringing a culture shifting orientation that is actually going to inform a campaign being incredibly powerful. Um, and that that potential is being cut off when you bring them in, the, in at the last minute to produce a product when the vision is already concrete. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the first time in hearing you talk that I'm like, oh my gosh, the same I think is true of, of healers. Like if, if our invitation to healers to come in and have an impact on the direction of our organizing is about creating one or two special days per year where we actually like try to recover from the extractive, unsustainable way we've been working for the whole year. <laughs> and it's like, now we have a massage. And so like, now we're good. <laughs> like, first of all, of course, organizers are not understanding the value in that because it's not deeply transformative mm -hmm. actually. And then also like, I don't blame, I don't blame healers for being like, I'm actually not welcome in my fullness uh -huh. here. Like, my use was not seen when it was like the strategy meeting or the yearly plan or the campaign action, yeah. right? Like I'm being called like to pick up the pieces mm -hmm. and, that's not, and that's not meaningful engagement. And so I, I really feel like you're right that we need to make a desperate ask of healers to please show up to our local organizations and to the grassroots work that's already happening because I'm curious what you think of this, but I know from my experience, like, I think the amount of pressure and stress of what you're talking about, like rallying oneself to get up and confront the extreme, you know, systematic violence of the state on a daily basis with almost no resources. Like, I, I don't know that our organizers are in a place to be able to look up and actively invite and bridge healers in, although we would ask, like, people, please do that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I feel like we do need to make like a desperate ask of our healers of like, come and embed yourselves in the work, like embed yourselves deeply mm -hmm. because we need you actually every step of the way so that we don't only need you once we've broken ourselves and we need your help to put ourselves back together, right? Yeah, yeah and that's actually a, a really perfect way to put it. I was just actually, when you said Fabiana, I was looking up, I have a Fabiana poster on my wall, uh, the, the one with the three uh, I think women mm. fans. It says indest indestructible. Yeah. Um, Fabiana is actually one of those people that showed up. I think what you're describing um, at Puente and, um, and just 
you know, taught our people how to silkscreen and taught our people so much about creating a political art. Ernesto Llerena, um, Melanie Cervantes, a lot of these people were integral to the Puente Inc., which is now a collective of, of um, silkscreeners, and now we have equipment, and, and it's been deeply integrated into Puente's culture. Uh, Puente is the organization that I'm a part of here in, in Phoenix, um, who's been one of the frontline organizations um, the past 10 years. And so, uh, yeah, it's just exactly that. I think the breakthrough that we need is, um, it is a breakthrough in consciousness and a breakthrough in, in, uh, in realizing or, or embracing the role that we all sort of need to play both healers and organizers, um, and the importance of, of, of healing, overall as a tactic inside a campaign, as a campaign inside a campaign, as part of political education, as part of organizing, as part of recruitment, as part of pretty much every single piece that we do. So it's not an afterthought. So that's that's something that we need mm. to be more rigorous around in movement building. And then also um, the piece around healers showing up as well. So we need to sort of meet halfway um, both organizers and healers mm-hmm. um, to be able to um, to create the, the new culture that we need to create to be able to mm. beat back um, these attacks, not only politically, but um, emotionally and spiritually. Um, this is mm. a spiritual war. This is a, this is a spiritual war that we're experiencing um, and that we've been experiencing in this you know, since colonization, I would say at least. Um, and so we're in the process of decolonizing every single day. And this is integral um, healing within the movement building process. It's integral to winning. It's integral to uh, societal transformation. And without it, I think we are... We're not going to be okay. We're actually um, doomed. <laughs> I'm so convinced mm. that we are actually mm. um, going to be carrying out what could be a losing strategy. It can be an afterthought. And I think we've mm. done really, I think we've done well because each other is what has kept us afloat and what has kept us going and what has kept us, um, you know, fighting and um but we've also um, are lacking so much, and we have such a culture of scarcity, such a culture of crisis. I mean, we mm-hmm. thrive in crisis. It's, it's insidious. It's now the thing that's fueling us, crisis after crisis. And I can't tell you enough how many organizations are the clearest when a when a when a blow is delivered, um, mm. versus the clearest when we've won something and now we have to um, figure out, you know, how we're going to celebrate and how we're going to, um, you know, um, sit with this beautiful victory and count our blessings and ensure our people are well. Mm. And, you know, and so how do we beat back all of that um, and be well? Yeah. 
Well, I know that you did some really beautiful work last year with a, a, a whole group of folks that could, that uh, contributed to the guide that you produced with Mijente, the Resistencia Ancestral or the Ancestral Resistance Guide. And um, that's a, a resource that we're going to share in the show notes. It not only is, you know, deep and wise and powerful with lots of practices and poems and various things, but it's also very beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really well designed and it's gorgeous art. And um, and I would love just for, you know, for folks who are going to go to the show notes and click on that link to, to download that free resource, um, if you could just tell us a little bit about what is there and, and why it felt important to pull those resources together in that way and kind of give them away to folks. Uh, what is the, what is the guide about? Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, the, um, it's a, it came out of, um, I just got inspired. I went to the Mi Gente Lanzate, which is like launch in Puerto Rico in 20, at the end of 2016 and met really dope people there, um, who, were part of like a healing justice crew that really took such good care of folks through the weekend during the lunch. And um, I proposed to them for us to just have a conversation um, being Latinx and, and being folks that were thinking about, you know, healing and creating healing spaces and and bringing healing into the work. And uh, we just kind of like tossed around a few ideas. I also called on other folks that I know that are not in mi gente, like Maida del Valle, who's an amazing poet. If you ever want to hear brilliant poetry, Maida del Valle, look her up. Um, other folks like Belia. Um, Belia is a, a person who does, um, is an amazing uh, restorative justice trainer, uh, healer, um, Orisha's sister of mine. Um, so folks that are not necessarily in mi gente, but are, are Latinx and are, I see as healers and our Orisha sisters, those two Orisha sisters, actually. Um, and so we're like, well, what do we do? What do we do? We want to work together so badly. And we're like, how about we just start by sharing um, by sharing some of our own practices? Um, and mm. how do we democratize um, access to some of this stuff? Because I feel like so much we we end up having to hire people to build capacity for movement, which is not a bad thing. I love, I mm. love those folks and I think they're really necessary, but can we just, you know, share some of what we know and what works for us? And it's, it's not, it might not work for everybody, but give it a try. And we want to continue, not just as a group, but I want to continue under Healing and Resistance, the project um, to produce this zine. The next one hopefully will be on, on, um, on indigenous uh, womb wellness practices. Um, and so our community just has so much knowledge, right? We were just talking about that and, and there's, it's so well resourced in so many ways. We just kind of have to think about it. Um, so this is free. Um, you can download it on the Mi Gente website. There's a blog and I, I'll share the link with you. If you want to share it with mm-hmm. folks. Um, if you want to order one, we just charge for the printing and the shipping. Uh, it's free. It's meant to be free. And I, you know, Lucy Sandoval, who is the comms person for Puente, is an amazing artist, really talented. She's the one that did all the artwork for us. This wow. is a lot of a labor of love from all of us. Beautiful. Thank you so much for that gift. And, um, 
I know you're going to give us another gift in the form of a recorded practice. And I'm so excited and so grateful to you that we're going to, for the first time, offer two different practice downloads, one in English and one in Spanish, um, so that folks can practice in the language that is uh, feels most like home to them. Um, and I would love if we could just get a little bit of a preview. Um, folks who want to do the practice can listen to the instructions uh, in a few minutes, but um, a little bit of a preview of what uh, you will be offering. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my offering is going to be a practice of gratitude. Um, and so um, I heard somewhere that gratitude is is the best um, antidote to to, to, um, to grief um, and to sadness and to anxiety and to all these things that might plague us. And so the best way to beat back um, grief is to be grateful. Um, and, and it's a path to joy, to some joy, even if it's a tiny bit, we can start there. And so the practice is going to be a practice. It's a, a prayer. Uh, some people can do it in the morning. Some people can do it in the evening. People can do it whenever they want or they need it. And it's just a, a, a prayer of gratitude. Thank you. Well, we really look forward to practicing that with you. And for folks who want to download that, if you're listening to this conversation right when it comes out, our conversations always come out on Tuesdays and the practices release on Thursdays. So if you don't see it up yet, it's because it's coming on Thursday. Um, and Francisca, there's a million more things that we need to talk about, but I'm just so, so grateful for you being here and bringing really your, um, your length and also depth of experience around a, a fierce commitment to organizing that is so deeply infiltrated in every way with, uh, a commitment to healing and, um, when I hear you speak, it I start to lose actually my own sense of distinction between the two. Um, and I think that probably uh, is, is more of the reality of the truth. And so thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you for the resilience that you are um, working so tirelessly to support, specifically in the immigrant community, um, which is a gift to all of our humanity. Um, and thank you for being here on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. And and thank you for the space overall for for all the folks that have gotten to share um, themselves um, with the the world and and I so have learned so much and and really appreciate it. So thank you. Mm. Thanks, Francisca. You just heard a conversation between Francisca Porchas Coronado and Kate Warning. You can download the corresponding practice to experience a daily prayer with Francisca. This is something you can listen to anywhere. You can take the time to pause, or you can be walking to the train or driving where you need to go. It's a beautiful practice that can be done in your mind and your heart. And this week is also very special because we are offering two practice episodes one will be all in Spanish and one is in English. So you can take advantage of practicing this prayer in whatever language feels more like your heart language. So take advantage of that this week. Aprovechen. 
If you want to get more involved with the podcast, each week we have an opportunity to offer an affirmation or a gratitude on the show. Go to our website at healingjustice.org or check the link in the show notes in order to share an affirmation of your own voice on the show. And as always, we rely on your contributions. This is totally fueled by your donations. We keep all our content free to everyone. But you can contribute to support us if you have the means at patreon.com slash healing justice. Your support literally pays our hard costs to make this happen. Links are in the show notes for everything you need. You've got our email list, social media. So please stay in touch. We share some pretty gorgeous stuff every day and we love seeing you posting about what you're learning from the podcast or how you've tried the practices in your own community. We love to share your posts. And a big thank you to Zach Meyer at The Coal Room for mixing and editing this episode. Thank you for your commitment to building movements that liberate all of us, including yourself. Hear you next week.